Aloha Warriors, Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior. I have with me a woman of many talents and ventures into the creative, into the uh, off-the-beaten-path, perhaps. And uh, she, uh, she, she volunteered to, to flog me with a paintbrush, I think. Um, <laughs> Heather McGlasson, how are you? <laughs> well, you did say beaten path, didn't you? I, I did. I did. So um, there's a whole, I mean, you and I have actually, I think, met in 2010, I want to say, mm. maybe 2009. Yeah. I want, uh, it may have it been was, before that. It's possible. I know that you've known Scott and Kevin, obviously, for a long time before that. Um, but uh, you, so Kevin Cole, who was a guest on this show, um, yeah, I know all, we all know each other, the guests and everything. So Kevin Cole um, did a demonstration uh, NLP demonstration at uh, Guardian Quest Martial Arts, which was at the time under the purview of Grandmaster Scott, uh, Scott Conway, who was on the show before as well, uh, before he handed the dojo uh, to us. But at many, many years ago, um, I think you were there. Uh, yes, so I was. We, yeah. And, I, and then I think, I believe that's the first time I have a conscious. Uh, memory of meeting it doesn't mean I didn't meet you before then right yeah because uh, I brought my kids to the dojo a few times and so we probably met in passing but that is the first time yeah. you and I interacted and had great conversations together yeah and then you were very intense about where's your book where's oh your book? my gosh that was you <laughs> that was me that was me I, like what you do I, I just thought you did that with everybody no so, you know. oh now I remember you were yeah you it were, was it was kind of an intense conversation like was you were you were not letting me go and 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 it's true I don't have a book out yet uh, yeah so, is the uh, operative word here but you know we're, we're building as we go the podcast is a thing for the time being and you know you know so. podcast is almost better than a book I would say nowadays because everyone has a book but not everyone has a podcast no, and not to toot my own horn, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that podcasting has some challenges to be able to keep a conversation going. And you know, it, it helps when you have good guests and people you have existing rapport with. But, you know, like um, I, I have heard some podcasts from like, hey, I love what you guys are doing. The uh, There's a little bit of a staleness and we try to keep the, the conversation pretty broad. But um, what... We can circle back around all this stuff, but I, I really want to jump into it right away. Tell me about this impact chart thing. And obviously, I know about it because I'm one of your your muses, if you will. But um, this impact art stuff is pretty neat. All right. Well, I'll give you the origins. Impact art actually started for me at a, an event where I actually watched uh, a woman being flogged by floggers. And for the your audience that might not know what floggers are, they're like long strips of leather that is used in what's called impact play. And, and it often looks like it might be painful, but honestly, I'm going to tell you, the people doing it are probably enjoying the hell out of themselves. So um, I watched it, and the technique that this man was using reminded me of um, something. I, I used to be a dancer. I grew up dancing, and one of the, the types of dance I did was Polynesian poi ball. And we would do this six-point like twisting ropes with balls on the end and make it go all over the place. And I was watching this woman being flogged and he was actually using the same technique with these double handed fistful of leather long strands of floggers hitting this woman. And, and my brain didn't really register the kink of it so much as the fact that I recognized the motion and I didn't see floggers, Joshua. I saw paintbrushes. 
<laughs> and and that was the spark who are pretty much like the explosive dynamite that just like made my brain explode and i'm like oh my gosh what would it be like to put paint on the ends of these things and like paint on someone or on a canvas and then my mind exploded with metaphor and, and it just it's sort of it, it was almost spontaneous but there was a lot more um personal growth that came into it that made it more about a personal journey of my own to step out of being a mom of two girls who were at that time still in their teens. And because I knew they were becoming independent, I was starting to work on what do I want to be when I grow up? And I knew. And you were having this question <laughs> as a mom of two teenage girls. I was having this question as a mom of two teenage girls who were about ready to be super independent. I didn't have to really worry about them too much anymore and and be the, the homemaker, the caretaker of my my house. And I mean, I did a few other things, but I, th my identity at that time, and this is really important in the grand scheme of my own evolution, was that I considered myself a mom before anything else. And it was almost consuming. It just was all in consuming. I was a mom and a wife. And um, to step out of that role and be something other than that was a huge step for me. And to all of a sense, you know what? I want to go into being an artist full time and be an artist above everything else. And that's really scary for most artists, I'm going to say. Sure. Because it's so personal. It, this is well, like pieces of your soul that you're bringing up yeah. and showing to the world. Well, you know that because you have your own pieces of artistry that you've done. Well, and it's it's an interesting dynamic, you know, and, and this is irrespective whether it's visual art or performance art, music or otherwise, you know, you want, there's part of you that wants to express yourself and you want the validation, but you're also afraid of the rejection <laughs> of your art because the art is oftentimes an extension of yourself. And so this is weird dynamic of fearlessly going into expressing yourself without, while still having the, um, you know, some sort of protection from the, the darts of criticism, right. whether they be fair or not. Right. And, um, well, yeah, I, I, up into that point. So this was like about 2016 when those thoughts started occurring to me, when I'd witnessed that particular uh, session with the floggers. And I had up until that point been a Reiki master teacher for about six years. It's one of the little things I did on the side because I, I became a holistic health practitioner. So I had my massage license. Um, and I could work with people. And it, so that was sort of like my part-time job. So I did start to feel like I was doing and more. definitely a competent uh, massage therapist. You've done a little bit of chair massage with me, and it, you know, you still got the talent. Oh, we saying. haven't done full body yet. You need to come for one we of We have us. not. We have not. I'll, yeah, we'll figure something <laughs> out when, we, when it's, you know, that that's an option. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I, I did some things on the side so that I could make my own money for things that I wanted to do. But, again, I was still – the overall encompassing feeling of being a mom and a wife and then everything else was like little things that I played at. And I'd been a healer for six years about that time. I'd also gotten my NLP mastery from Kevin Cole. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, and back in like 2009, 2010. And, and so I'd already started to start working with people as a holistic health practitioner and get them on their path toward breaking through blocks and, and into their most creative self that they could be. So I wanted to incorporate that into my art world. 
And so when, boom, I got that thought about like flogging and the metaphor and what it meant, like as a human being, what do we do to ourselves that kind of signifies beating ourselves down or being beaten by outside sources or the world? And so the Human Phoenix Project really started developing rather rapidly after that. And like I said, I was working on myself at the same time with this concept of I want to be an artist, but I'm still feeling like an imposter, which I think you and I have that in common as, as you share that. We do, that and we you. actually had a – there's a really cool uh, woman that we had recorded an episode with, probably come out before your episode does, uh, Bianca Wolbeck, where she just started a podcast, I think, just last year, talking about that whole idea of feeling like an imposter, even when – you know that the those feelings of self doubt and and everything else. So that's it's a common thing that I think a lot of people deal with, actually. Yeah, and well, in NLP we talk about proof. Like, how much proof yeah. do you need before you'll believe X, Y, or Z? And also, what does that look like? What is it defined as? And for me, it was about like, okay, people are not just putting like because it's so easy to in your Facebook feed or Instagram feed for all of us visual people. Or if you're mm -hmm. listening to a, a musical artist, you know, to just sit there and hit like, um, you don't have to comment. You don't have to say, I like this because, or, Hey, I want to be a client. I want to commission something from you, but that's a very simple way of feeling validated. But then there's that financial one. And that is a much bigger mm -hmm. piece for most artists. That's like that next big, huge hurdle. It's not just people going, Ooh, Hey, I like your stuff. It's very cool. It's like, Oh, I want to invest in this because it has some value to me and I'm ready to give you this exchange of value for your value through money. And so um, being able to start selling the pieces, that was a big block for me because I decided to make it about, I just wanted to have fun and do art, but I didn't feel yet. And this is being very vulnerable, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> like, this is real. This is real stuff. This is stuff that artists all over the world go yes, through. Yes, of every kind, visual, audio, all of that stuff. Um, and being able to have people love it enough to say, yes, I, I value your art enough to give you money for it. Um, you, you get to that point where you have to force yourself to start asking for the sale or putting your stuff on social media and on a place where it's easy to realize, oh, this art's for sale, I need to buy it. Um, so that was another huge piece that I was working on. Um, so the Human Phoenix Project was around me stepping into that vulnerability, me getting past the feeling of being imposter, me um, asking for the sale. And, and also, like, who did I want to work with? Because my mission has always been to create and support safe spaces for people to self-explore and evolve. And I wasn't about to let that go. I didn't let that go as a, an NLP practitioner or a Reiki master teacher or holistic health practitioner. Um, and I wasn't about to let that go being an artist because it's something that my heart is near and dear to since the age of 11. And it's something that just makes brings me so much joy when I see people get something new about themselves, a, a new understanding, a new um, way of being, something that just moved them forward. I, it just excites me. I think you might have something in common with me there around that. Well, I mean, like, there's something when, and, I, and I've seen this in a couple of places, but one of the, 
one of the, the most immediate examples that comes to mind as far as people unlocking something in themselves. Um, I had a student that I was working with, and this is when I was still, I, I guess, I don't even know if I was a black belt yet, or maybe just freshly a black belt. So I was still um, assisting in the, the teaching at the dojo. And we had a student who was very noticeably lacking in self-confidence. And they finally got a technique and there was a shift to the way they spoke. And there was a very, like they, they, like something clicked in. It didn't, and they ultimately didn't end up sticking around for very long because, you know, family stuff and, you know, it's, they, they were still a teenager. So they didn't ultimately get to decide whether or not they stayed, but, you know, they, they started to get some of it and there was a shift in the way that they appreciated themselves. Wow. And it made me feel, I was like, okay, I'm doing something right. I don't know how much of this is me and how much is them, but I know that you know that's the thing that that opens up where I start to see somebody come alive, yeah. you know. And even something you know when it comes to like like comedy and stuff too, you know. If I if I can hear people genuinely laughing because somebody's giving voice to something that they they can identify with, or they can see the the comedy in what would otherwise be a tragic situation, then that that changes things pretty dramatically. And I think there's the value of aesthetic expression is very frequently underplayed and underappreciated. Yeah, I love your comedy, by the way. And and I oh, thank and you. I gotta say that. Um, and I think I've only. Come- I, I miss being on stage. It's been over a year since I've been on. <laughs> I think I've gone stage. twice. Um, but yeah. I, and I so next time you're on, let me know. I want to come. Absolutely. Um, but one thing I love about comedy, and you'll get this because you practice hypnosis, is that it really does let. It lets people, it, the information goes into people very quickly when they can laugh about it. And so all of a sudden you're teaching from the stage inside comedy. Like you said, you brought awareness to something that might've been tragic. Mm-hmm. And if they can really identify with it, because you're sharing it in a way that makes them laugh, they're getting lessons they might not have gotten otherwise. It breaks down the barrier, right? I mean, like people, I, I don't expect the, the specific example. I, I actually... So thanks to our producer Justin, who's who goes silent. I still he hasn't quite agreed to be a guest on the show yet. We'll fix that hopefully soon. Um, <laughs> but he gave me an invite to Clubhouse. I've been playing with that app for a few days now, and I popped into a room and I opened my big mouth and said I was a comedian. I hadn't been on stage for a while. I was like, "Here, would you like to go up?" I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I talk about I, I talked about and it was good because I was, you know. The, it allowed me to kind of see how much rest I had in there for because it's a different vibe. But I was able to talk about some of the confusion relevant to a disability, right? People think I'm I have I'm hearing impaired or have cognitive what? disabilities or whatever. And I was able to tell a couple of stories connected to that. And you know, I was able to hear people genuinely laugh because you know you hear somebody laugh. You can tell what's in a, when it's a fake laugh. And you can tell when it's a genuine laugh. There's a, there's something you can't hide it if it's a genuine laugh. Yeah, Not really. Genuine, unless you're an you amazing snort. actor. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, and it was it, it it made me feel good that I was bringing somebody else joy, and that that's mm. it, you know, and it's like okay, do I need to kind of tighten up my act? Sure, but you know that's okay. I'll, I'll it, it gave me a benchmark of where I am and where I can improve uh, before I go back out on stage again. But it also, it's that same thing for you, I'm sure, in your visual artwork and your healing, you know, like when you, when somebody connects with something you made. 
Or there's there's not anything quite as powerful for an artist as that. What about if it's something that they made? Well, there's that too, I suppose. So, <laughs> hence the. Uh, you are the queen yeah. of the segues. <laughs> well, but no, but it, it really was. I, as a healer, we're taught actually not to call ourselves healers, which is really interesting. We're taught to say we create space for people to do the work and find healing for themselves. And we're just in charge of navigating that or facilitating that. We didn't say, I healed you, smack to the forehead and they're healed. Um, and you, you know, if you and I wanted to, we could probably start a pretty interesting cult. <laughs> I, I almost said something very clever, but it went away. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> as long as there's chocolate involved, we're good. Uh, well, all right. Um, but so I, I wanted to keep this element of healing in what I did as an as an artist. And originally, I didn't actually call it impact art. I had that word didn't come along until my art married my facilitation. My art married my holistic practitioner work. They were kind of separate silos for a while. Yeah, they were. They were separate. And and because I'm like I. You know who inspire me most is in the art. When I create something, I love to have a person in mind. If it's like somebody saying, ooh, could you make this something for me? They're, st they're still in my mind because they're wanting something directly, and they'll right. commission the work, and I'll make something for them. But people inspire me, and I knew right away that's what I wanted to focus my art around was people. And since I am also in the healing arts I wanted to be able to bring in an element of healing so that I'm not just making art for them. They're being directly involved in the art. And I don't, at this moment, I don't originally remember how the shadow work got involved, except for that I had been previously working with um, helping people get through blocks because of the NLP work and the, and the Reiki. Well, and Carl Jung has been yes. an influence on you oh, at least yes. to some degree. So um, shadow work is actually originating from Jungian psychology. So, um, but I took only a tiny little piece of that. He talks about the shadow being like the whole unconscious element of the things that were developed in early years that then are working at an unconscious level. And I still, it's still unconscious. I mean, in fact, as soon as you realize you've been operating under a specific shadow, it's it ceases to be considered a shadow because now it's in the light and it can't be considered a shadow, but to hunt it or to dance with it because shadows, once you recognize them, they don't necessarily stay uncovered. They, you play with it. It goes in and out. Like let's mm -hmm. go back to the feeling. And of you can posture. change by the light that you pl you show on it. You can change the shape of the shadow and make it appear larger or smaller depending on mm. what, you know. Nice visual there, Joshua. Yeah, it's true. It's true, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but let's let's play with imposter. I mean, just because all of a sudden you had a really great night and you were on the stage and um, you got tons of laughs and people are like going, oh my gosh, I want to invite you to this gig over here. Would you be open to being paid to come and do my comedy show? And you'd be like, yeah, that's totally awesome. And so now your shadow and I'll use one of my own examples, of course, mm -hmm. as well. Um, my imposter shadow of being an artist. Let's say I did a gig, a gallery gig, and somebody's interested in buying a painting. I'm feeling like a true artist in that moment. So even even when we go through moments where we're like, okay, I'm never going to feel like an imposter again, we can still get triggered <laughs> later. 
And we sure. won't remember that we're being triggered until we recognize, oh, I'm feeling like that imposter again, even though I know that that's not true. So we have this dance until we finally like living full time as the comedian, as the artist, as you know, whatever it is. Um, it's still this dance that we do with shadow. Hence, I call it shadow dancing, which I have a great um, definition for that. I really want to share. Sure. Uh, shadow dancing to me is the intentional conscious engagement with the uncomfortable, unconsciously driven elements of our mind. I call these shadows for the purpose of drawing out and loving them back into the light and harvesting their gifts. And that is really the quintessential um, element of shadow dancing. It's this idea that we're, we've become aware that something isn't right. We put a label on ourselves for something. We're not feeling good enough or we're feeling um, like a victim, like we're out of control, we're helpless to something. Or maybe we're feeling in chaos and overwhelmed. And we know that we recognize it in ourselves and we know that it's not true. But to, in order to heal that shadow aspect, to keep it from controlling us, we have to go back and, and you've done this in NLP work and other work probably, yeah. and in comedy, when you're searching for material, my goodness, <laughs> um, we go in and look for where did that come from? And that's when we start drawing out the human messiness that actually gave us gifts. Like, I don't know where you initially get some of your material for comedy, but it, it gave you the gift of giving us something to laugh at when you get to share it with us. Sure. Sure. It, it is sort of one of those, I think, this is the part that I, I think that is, is really uh, a, a necessary component behind what we're building here at the podcast and why I, I wanted to have you on is that authenticity of expression. You know, my favorite comics are not the comics that get a, a joke every 15 seconds. I mean, there are some that I like, you know, like I, I, I am a big fan of um, Stephen Wright, who's, he's one of the king kings of the, uh, of the one-liners, but I also like comics that will just tell stories and I, and, and speaking from their own life, you know, you'll have somebody like, um, oddly enough, I don't find <sighs> blanking on her name right now. There's a, there's a comedian, she, and maybe you know of her. Um, there's a, there was a comedian that very publicly had breast cancer and she had a mastectomy and she did a whole bunch of, uh, like shows about it and some of them are kind of downer shows, but there was something very real. And then the, the interesting thing is the authenticity of her expression. When she got to the part that had comedic value there, it resonated on a deeper level with the people that she was speaking to. So I think that that authenticity of expression, what you're talking about, you know, obviously I can't uh, see clearly the, the specifically the the paintings that you have made with your your various muses that you've worked with but there is an authenticity in the way you cooperate and collaborate with your subjects that you know there's not a it's not contrived it's very it's intentional it's built it's created but you're you know when you and I did the one piece that 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 you did connected to my story you did exactly that. You unleashed my ability to be authentic in my expression and in how um, 
you wanted me to pair my words with the piece that you made. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really quite neat. You were in, you were in the original Human Phoenix uh, um, season, the very first one. Yeah, we had what? Uh, how many did you have um, in that first batch I of, had 10 people, of pictures? Including okay. myself. And most of them were family members. <laughs> hey, but that's okay. You got to, well, I mean, shoot, honestly, most of the people that were guests on this first, the first season of the show were doing the second season now were people that I knew. Because they inspire us, don't they? They inspire us or we find something interesting yeah. about them or there's that common wavelength or whatever. It doesn't have to be, you know, people get into that spot. Oh, well, I got to, I got to make sure I chase after this guest and chase after this project. And totally, I mean, we have, um, had some pretty high profile people in that first season, you know, John Hackman's trained UFC champions. And of course you heard the episode with Tiffany, but that doesn't mean that, you know, just because they happen to be somebody you already know, doesn't mean there's not going to be some beautiful expression or conversation. in yeah, there. We learn new things all the time. In fact, you just, uh, yep. you taught me that I should probably do some comedy. I might be able to get even realer and deeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's worthwhile for everybody who is interested in performance or public speaking to do it. Does that mean you're going to be a, you know, a comedy sensation and have, you know, uh, Spotify giving you hundreds of millions of dollars to to do an exclusive podcast, or does that mean that um, you have a deal with Netflix, or that you can call up uh, Viacom and they'll take down your your TV show because they're not paying you? No, it doesn't mean any of that. Um, but what it does mean is that you learn to speak in a vulnerable spot, and you realize you didn't die. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, so you and I had a conversation and I didn't know exactly how to ask for what I wanted. But what I did uh -huh. know was that I wanted to find out what would happen. This is all experimental and a, and a huge okay. thing for me. To all right. So so, so uh, for those of you listening, I have no idea what she's about to ask. Um, no, it's, it's repeated. I didn't know how to ask it. But I, was, I wanted to see what it would look like if you had a conversation with, um, with a piece of your shadow. Like I said, I don't. Um, I'm only taking one element out of Jungian psychology, and that's just the idea that shadow can be fractured into so many different pieces. And what I saw when I look at my own shadows is I see them having labels on them, labels like inconsequential, which is a big one for me. I always wanted to make sure that I mattered or that what mm -hmm. I did had value, and I didn't always feel that. And something I still work on, in fact, um, I'm much better than I used to be, but, but I wanted to find out, you know, so I asked, I think I asked you, I said, can you think mm -hmm. of something that if somebody called you a name, it would hurt like a lot. And I want you to act like that is, is something separate from you, but inside of you. And I would love for you to address it and talk to it. Hmm. And then you, put me on the spot here. Yeah, no, no, but you did it, and you yeah, wrote yeah. the whole piece. I don't actually remember all of the pieces of the of what I wrote for my uh, for my artwork. <laughs> That's okay, um, and I believe that. Uh, but you you're always sharing around that um, because that that's who you are, and and you're so inspiring to people that you you're always working on all these little pieces of shadow, and that's part of being a podcaster too. Because if you're not willing to get vulnerable on your own show, I don't think you could expect your guests to go there as well. It would be unfair for me to ask that. And that's what I want. You know, it's, it's yeah. So, so one of the things, it's interesting, we're really digging into this whole imposter thing. It's come up a lot independent of Bianca's uh, guest, 
you know, guesting on the show is that, you know, for me, and I, I, this might've even been my word, imposter. It was. That's why I keep touching right. on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but part of it is, you know, so when, um, yeah, I'll just some background, you know, when I quit my job in 2016, it's interesting that you and I had both had that shift around that time. It seems like a whole, like our culture began the beginning of its upheaval to whatever is going to, you know, like you talk about the Phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost as if our culture died and is slowly crawling its way out of the ashes from, and this isn't a commentary on politics. So that certainly has a part of it. At the time that I quit, I went in to do martial arts, specifically judo to prepare for the Tokyo Paralympics, which obviously it'll be next year. My previous martial arts experience was not enough to get me good. And I just, you know, part of that is because judo is a very net, narrow, narrow set of skills. And I began to kind of really, man, did I really earn the ranks that I have? Because I had multiple black belts by that point. You know, I'd been doing martial arts for consistently anyway for 11 years, dabbled a little bit before that. And I started to question my value. And then I met my first surf coach in June of 2017, I had tried surfing once or twice and he thought I had some real talent. And then I competed and I won. I remember. Uh, or at least I came in well and I became better. And I, you know, within less than a year of surfing with instruction, I was the national champ. And as far as, you know, the, the highest placing visually impaired surfer in the U.S., and that was bananas to me. I was the first blind surfer to surf on Kelly Slater's wave pool. And I had all this success very early on. And I began to second guess myself. Is it my value or is it, am I only winning because of my coach? Mm -hmm. Am I a success because people feel inspired that a, that a blind guy can be mediocre at what he does and that's better than what they expect a blind person can do? Or am I actually better and deserve the appreciation, you know, is it, is it only because I'm blind? If I was doing this and I could see, and I was doing that, would that still really be all that impressive? Or is it just for the novelty of my unique combination of interests and kind of modest talents? And the shift for me, oddly enough, in, toward, in terms of resting into my imposter and not worrying about it as much, I wrote the, I'll, I'll kind of share some of the stuff that I wrote in a, in a second themes. But when I got on the podium at the ISA uh, World Adaptive Surfing Championships or Parasurfing Championships, I guess is what they called it, uh, on the, the US team, second time I competed at that contest, um, this March, it was the last contest before everything shut down. It was with my new coach that I have now that I, at the time, had been working with for less than a, you know, We'd worked together a little bit, but in terms of exclusively for only about a month. And it was the first time I had ever competed with him in the water with me because, you know, for visually impaired surfing, they can't touch you. It's all, all of your movements have to be of your own power, but they're giving you verbal instruction. And so having that victory and doing as well as I did less than a month working with this particular coach, I knew that it wasn't the coach. Now, do the coaches help? Of course, um, it's helpful to have a good teacher for you to unlock, you know, what's available to you and to kind of help you find the right 
kind of constructive path. But ultimately, you know, if I didn't put the work in, it's not like my coach could have won the contest without me because he's not blind. Um, and one of the things I would tell myself, if I was going to separate out that, that shadow of myself, that imposter that still, you know, pokes his head up every once in a while is you are a unique and complex and valuable individual. You can do amazing shit if you let all of the naysayers words roll off your back and you can stand firm, you can stand strong and you can do the thing that you know in your heart of hearts that you were designed to do. Mm-hmm. In my particular case, this is this whole exploration of this podcast. You're, 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 you guys are getting, for those of you who are listening, and I, I use you guys collectively. Um, I, that's not a gender loaded pronoun for me or a word. So, you know, um, but when it comes to, you know, basically for any of the listeners out there, pulling back the curtain a lot, that this whole idea of adventure mind and, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to have Heather on is that beautiful exploration of authenticity, of loving yourself and others deeply. If you don't have love for yourself, it's hard for you to express yourself with consistency, with authenticity, with consistent, you know, and then that living on purpose. There's so much cool stuff. We Anything that this last year has taught us, right? We need each other more than we ever have. Yes. And we keep fighting with each other constantly instead of trying to find common ground and ways of expressing ourselves to each other that don't make things worse. And that's, I think, irrespective of whether you're far left leaning, far right leaning. I don't, you know, I don't care about that so much as much, you know, how are you treating the people that you interact with? And it's, there's no virtue in being kind to the people who agree with you. But if you are a, you know, screaming, whatever, it's hard for me to speak in hyperbole without being pejorative, but let's say you're, you know, you, you kind of fit the mold of the AOC liberal, right? How difficult is is it for you to be kind to other people who agree with you? Now, obviously we're trying to keep social distancing together and and all that. I hate that term, by the way, but we're trying to be responsible. But assuming there was not the health crisis, could you, speaking collectively and not pointing finger at you, Heather, but could people give somebody who voted for Donald Trump a hug? Some people could easily do that. Some people could. And um, for those of you who uh, think the world is falling apart because of Nancy Pelosi, could you give Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a hug if you met her? Some of you could. And I'm not saying that it has to be boiled down to physical affection, but sometimes there's that dividing line. We can't be honest with each other. Because we're so convinced that everyone else is the enemy. It's not that we don't have to agree on every little point. Let's find those points of agreement, that authenticity of expression in a way that is loving. Mm-hmm. You know, but sometimes people have that crafting stories, but do they help anybody? Do they, do they make things better? And if you build something that lifts people up, well, that I think that makes the world a little bit brighter. Yeah. And, and maybe this is my kind of overly emphasized optimism. I think there's something to that. And I think you're, you're 
you're building something that's that's pretty cool. Well, I de- I definitely um, have the um the desire to help people feel like they're not alone. They're not the only one, you know, and um that just by being themselves it's enough and it brings enough value to the world. Mm-hmm. You know? Um I love how I have you on the show and that I'm the one who's talking more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to that. I get people talking. Um but I do love the gab too. Um yeah. yeah. Well, ask me, ask me a question then. Yeah. 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 So, so the, well, the Phoenix thing, yeah. right? Like obviously that's a, that's, so you, you kind of wanted to co- cooperate with people to expose their shadows. That Phoenix imagery, yeah. obviously it's for those who are, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Phoenix because of Harry Potter. Cause you know, you have Fox and everything else. Um, the, the Phoenix that is uh, Dumbledore's a familiar, I guess, if you yeah, will. Fox. Um, but, for for you though, why the phoenix as opposed to some other metaphor? Um, I know the sh- I know the shadow part. So many metaphors could work here. It's it, that, and because there's actually something even more better symbolic beyond the phoenix, and that's the peacock. But for this particular art, and what I wanted to tackle, it was really around just the um, that piece of the puzzle of shifting and changing becoming aware of whatever the challenge is and then that journey of working through it so that one could find, you know, kind of rebirth themselves, reinvent themselves out of that challenge and, and move forward from there. So it, that's what the story is about. It's not about transcendence because at this point I haven't found too many people that feel like they're transcendent in their lives that they have completely left shadow behind, that they are never, ever, ever triggered about those shadows anymore. And to to do so and seek out those people or force people into that position where I'm saying, hey, you've, you've left all your troubles behind. Share with us how you did it and, and who you are now and how you're flying free. People laughed at me when I made an assumption with somebody, one person I did. I made an assumption that they were past that fear that they had. And I said, Nobody oh, is. no, what are you talking about? I work on that all the time. And it was mm-hmm. so such a wake up call to me that this topic was even juicier than I originally planned it for. Sure. And that the Phoenix was just the right symbol for that part of the story. I mean, we're all working toward um, transcending above our fears and our insecurities and our overwhelm and whatever, all those things, all the, the difficulties of our life. But are we ever all the way there? And sometimes we are, but in glimpses of time, like parts of time, we make it. Right. And then something will happen. Uh, we'll go through some scarcity and it will trigger us again and we'll kind of fall backward. And that's that doubt part, which is um, <laughs> that's a whole technical aspect of layering inside of the painting because the layers actually tell the story from awareness through the challenge and the struggle to the, the shift and then to like the hopes and the dreams and ascendance. So, so speaking to that, because obviously this is an audio-oriented show, at least the way we distribute it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Walker listeners, try to be as as vivid as you can in the the start to finish product of the one of these human phoenix mm. uh, paintings that you've created. Um, I want to. Sh- I'll share mind. one of them with you. 
One sure. of the hardest ones I've ever painted was one from my mother. <laughs> she and I share the shadow of, it's a victim type shower, shadow, and it's a shadow of, um, well, in my recent painting, I called it faded. I actually, if you look at a black, imagine a black canvas, yeah, about 24 inches by 18 inches, uh, 24 inches tall, 18 inches wide, and it's black. It's a blank canvas. As we all start in this world, as a blank canvas, mm -hmm. you know, we're nothing but DNA and, you know, an energetic history, if, if you believe that. Um, but as we start life, we're really free until something happens to change that. And we start to doubt ourselves. You know, we walk, we fall down, we walk, we fall down. And now we're like, well, maybe I'm not the best walker in the world. I better be careful or I might fall down. Use that for whatever metaphor you like. Um, and so a label is developed and it might be a label that was um, created for the self, like not good enough, like I'm going to fall down. Or it could mm -hmm. be from outside of you where somebody says you're not good enough and you start to believe it. And so you grow up just subconsciously now thinking, well, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And and you don't realize that's been operating in the background. So this label is there and it's not necessarily one that's conscious, but because I've placed it on the canvas, it's um, it represents that we now recognize that that label had existed, and at some right, you're not yeah. hiding from the reality that this is a right. thing that you so, faced. So, like for mine was um, this faded idea because I'm afraid my grandmother had Alzheimer's and she actually died from dementia mm. and Alzheimer's, and my mother is actually starting to show the signs of it as well and is on medication for it. And of course, two in a row makes me think or believe at least subcon on a subconscious level somewhere. Sure. Even I've worked hard to convince myself it is not the case that there is a genetic relation there, you know, because you're seeing two genetic in a row. And so I have this great fear in my darker moments when I'm not balanced and I'm not feeling quite so powerful that I could forget who I am. I could forget my passions in life. I could forget my the people that I love the most. Okay, yeah, this is the fastest way to get me vulnerable. <laughs> I've already got there. You go. You're welcome. I guess tears I in my eyes. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it was the hardest painting I did because of having to go through all the layers. So the next layer is is actually where I actually have these three to four foot long tendrils of surgical tubing that I dip in paint, like a dozen in each hand. And I'm sitting there and I am just beating the crap out of this surface. And I've got like some grunge metal music playing in the background. And yeah. I'm basically stepping in this case into my own energy of what that story was of me fighting through these feelings of fear uh, now that I've recognized that I really do have the shadow of feeling like at some point I am going to fall into this category of Alzheimer's and I'm going to forget things and I'm, and I'm sure. going to lose myself and I won't have access to my memories. And it's, it's terrifying for me. And um, my mom gave me permission to like, uh, to, to be in proxy for her at the same time. But when I'm doing her painting, I was, I was doing it for the both of us. And so I'm just sure. wailing on this. I believe at one point my canvas actually attempted to jump off of the easel because I was hitting it so hard. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> and, um, 
And so I, I do that for the next layer. And, and that's just really that angst layer. And then the next layer is, is more around the, okay, I accept that this is my fear. And I also know that I have the resources to deal with it. I have the resources to bring my positivity, my love, my power, my deep living, you know, my living fully back into the present and be more present. And so I'm bringing all these tools into it and I'm beating the the canvas again, but with a new awareness that I am not helpless, that I have resources, I have the power to overcome these feelings of fear around feeling like a victim. And so that starts to build the story on the canvas for those of right. us that can see it. I almost wish that the layers were more palatable. Like, like if you went up, you well, there, touch I think it. you actually showed yeah, me yours. There, I, I do remember there was one and maybe it was mine. There was a little bit of, because you had used either different paint or because of the way it had, had played out. Um, in fact, I, if I remember right, with mine, there was sort of a wave-like yes. structure that I could almost feel with the, 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 the texture of the different layers of, of paints and, and things that you had. Yeah, see, when you came in, I'd explained, I said the colors that came to me, and I was just intuiting colors um, during the first few seasons, um, deciding, mm-hmm. like, what does that story feel like to me energetically and through color? And yours was like a really crimson, dark red and then like a brighter, loyal truth kind of blue. And then like this hope and sparklers of like white all over it. And yes, the wave was definitely interplaying in there. And I took your hand and I placed it on the canvas and I invited you to just feel around. I- yeah. And there was definitely a, a tactile component. A lot, of, um, a lot of people don't think about that when they look at a piece of visual artwork, but oftentimes, you know, cause rarely will they let you go, to, you know, you're not going to be able to go to the Louvre in France and go here. Why don't you touch the several hundred year old painting? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but at the same time, there is that component if it's if the artwork is there and you're able to touch it gently enough. Yeah. You know, I've completed 54 of these paintings uh, up to this point, and I have yet to do the next level, which is to get the people that are inspiring me to actually be involved with the actual painting, to place the paintbrushes in their hands and show them where to dip the paint play the music that gives them inspiration and passion and let them beat the crap out of the canvas for the first couple of layers. And then I would go back in with the interview and such and, and finish the painting and polish it up and then be able to present it to them. But I think catalytically that dear shadow letter that you wrote was a huge mm-hmm. piece. And then the next layer, the next step of that would invite you to come and actually partake of, um, of actually being a part of painting the canvas with the aggression that is so healing. Um, I, I think uh, that, that sounds like a great idea. And, and uh, I mean, when you were talking about this, when you were describing to me initially what you were doing with the, and you, and you had mentioned this kind of character that you had created while you create too. I'm curious about that, but it just sounds like such a cool physical way of, of, of expressing yourself because, you know, what do most people think about when they think about painters? They think about sculpt, maybe not as much sculptures, but sculptors, but a little bit when you, when you're creating, when you're drawing or painting, people think, Oh, you're, you're sitting there. You maybe you're paying attention to your light. You know, let me get the shading over here. Let's draw this nice, happy trees, you know? Um, 
happy little clouds, right? We're thinking we're, we're, we're kind of channeling our inner Bob Ross or something. Um, but being able to get so visceral in your creation, it, that's, that's beyond what most people expect or what most people think of when they're thinking of uh, visual artwork. When, pe- when um, people do think back to their journeys, uh, most people who are really in touch with their emotions can get really angry about mm-hmm. how long it took them to become aware of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's something that I've, I've kind of gone over the last year. There's been a lot of room for me to kind of face my own personal demons and, and insecurities and things. And, and so, you know, especially I had little minor health things, not coronavirus, but minor health things that forced me to kind of put on hold the things that made me feel strength and power generally. And so kind of, it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> so finding a ways to, to express that outwardly is, is really yeah. good. Yeah. And in being a holistic health practitioner, I like to focus on like all parts of a human being, you know? So when I'm teaching something, I want somebody to be able to like feel it viscerally and, and, and just and energetically. Mm-hmm. And then also do, you know, things through speaking and listening and, and writing. And so like getting as many of the senses involved is really important in shadow dancing. And uh, you brought something up a second ago. Hmm. You you talked about, you mentioned that I actually created a character. And yeah. And well, and you've been doing like <laughs> cosplay stuff for years, decades yeah. even really, but, but you had created this sort of persona to step into in your creative process, which I thought was really fascinating. I, I did. You have to ground yourself a lot when you're going to be a proxy for another person, especially if that proxy has a lot of anger, you know, a lot well, of and, anger. And, you know, familiar relationships, it's, it, it's hard to kind of, un, you know, you're intertwined with yeah. that person much more so than, I mean, you and I are friends for sure, but you can you know, kind of untangle that more easily than you could between you and your mother. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. That was probably one of the hardest ones just because we had so many commonalities, but I had, and I had invented this, um, painter persona, this faculty, as I like to call them, um, in order to help me create that sense of separation so that it wasn't. Cause it me. could get too emotional oh, to the point where you couldn't finish it. I'm oh, sure. I was, I was always exhausted. I would work on, even though I, w- I would only do one layer at a time, sometimes only one per day, I would work on 12 paintings. That's 12 people, 12 personalities, 12 shadows that I would work on at, at a time. And a couple of layers were just so difficult. And because it was important to me in order to paint it in the way that it deserved the attention, mm-hmm. to give it the attention and energy that it deserved, it was important for me to read through their letter to the shadow and really get inside of the rage or the disappointment or the embarrassment, whatever those feelings needed to right. be. So I would really need to ground myself and then and, and protect myself, pull in as many protective layers as I possibly could. And with the trust that my heart would clean it all up afterwards, you know, and that I would be able to reground and know that only good things could come from this. Um, and so, yeah, I would create this character. The other part of creating the character was really uh, utilitarian. It was that when I paint, it gets messy. Well, and, and you know, I would love for there to be more blind surfers out there. I don't want it be because my friend Heather wasn't wearing proper eye color, uh, protection and she smacked herself in the eye with this, like, <laughs> fairly violent way of painting. Which I have. <laughs> 
It is not fun to get oh. paint. Oh, in the eye? I didn't hit myself in the eye with with the um my floggerts, which I call the really long tendrils. Good, good, good. That's um, good because that would But hurt. I did get paint in my eye because uh, stupidly I forgot to put my goggles back down uh, because I like seeing. I'm used to it. Who would have thunk right? it? Yeah, um, that's that's an amazing kind idea. Because I was kind of impairing myself a lot, which is metaphoric for right. Because you'd get you'd get paint on the goggles and of course then you couldn't see them and right. through them and, and and as human beings we're not always seeing the bigger picture when we're in our stuff <laughs> so you could metaphorically say that um i was impairing my vision a little bit by wearing these goggles which had some tint to them and i also looked pretty damn cool because <laughs> there's a do you have the video up still of you doing this like the movement i have of, lots of, of videos uh, i have the one of okay. me actually painting your painting um, and and some of them are rather creepy because I was getting a little too playful in the beginning of doing all of this. And I was like, <laughs> I had this big kind of like a, a wig that I created. And it was on top of a beanie with all of these like fat ribbons that you, I don't, you know how to describe them. They're like these round. You described it tubular. to me as if there was a little bit of a, some reminisce, reminiscence of, uh, the predator. Yeah, predatorist. Yeah, you almost had these sort of dreadlock-looking yes. things coming off your I, Originally, they were purple, purple and black dreadlock things coming out. And I had these steampunk goggles that I wear. And it would be all in black. I look kind of like a, a a predator meets a dominatrix. <laughs> and, and I originally called my proxy the um, the shadow warrior or something like that. Until right. I grew up and I kind of grew beyond that and went, you know, I don't want to scare people. This is not a. Oh, see, I'm all about I like, I, I think like Corey it. Taylor and the guys from Slipknot would be proud. You you know? Yeah. And it, there was a lot of fun aspects to doing it that way. But when I really got deeply embedded into the metaphor, it was like, who am I when I'm painting these pictures? I'm outside of the whole thing. I'm not just in the one aspect where I'm in pain and I'm in rage and stuff like that. And if I'm going to walk around Comic-Con in an outfit and have a persona, you know, I want it to, like, represent the entire experience. And so that's where Shadow Dancer kind of came in. And I'm I'm actually working now to kind of upgrade, evolve the look to be more about if somebody were to step into the role and actually paint on their canvas, I want to empower them. I don't want them stuck in the anger I want them mm. to incorporate the entire story and be um, accepting of it. You know, how often are we told to release, release, release? It's actually more important to be like, allow, 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 feel through it, you know, harvest the gifts from the experience and then move forward, mm -hmm. you know, metabolize the shadow back into the whole of the self. And with the warrior image, it wasn't cutting it for me, even though that was fun for a sure. while. So, well, and that's not going to necessarily resonate with everyone, no. you know. Either. And shadow dancer might not as well, but that's really who I want to play with. I want to play with it. Um, the people who are ready to to step out of the feelings of imposter and, and embrace their their identity because they're ready to be complete with whoever they were being, whether it was a mom or a wife or a boss or a student or whatever. A student of something is really common. You know, it's, it's going from the, I just learned this. Now, how do I embrace it and step into being an expert in all of the wonderful things that I just learned in the past four, six, 10 years, um, and really be able to energize the world with, I can freaking help you. 
because I know what the heck I'm doing, <laughs> but I also have to yeah, yeah. own that I, it's real and I'm not an imposter. So being able to do that and, and, and help somebody do what you say and live that adventurous full life and live deeply is just, it's yeah. so important to me that shadow dancer really is, and shadow dancing is to me the key of how I help people do that. So I'm excited. Shadow Dancer does sound like a great name for a metal album. There you though, go. I tell you. Can I sing on it? <laughs> well, can I scream on it? Sure. We'll, we'll figure something out. I'm not, not prompt. We'll see if we can get Trevor uh, Hammer. I play Didge. Uh, to... I can throw some didgeridoo in there. Okay. And everything. Oh, then you probably want to go back and listen to our, our la- the first episode of season two. My friend Daniel was on here. He, he, uh, you know, has a bunch of medieval bagpipes that he'll play and, <laughs> cool. and, and he has, did, you know, didgeridoo Sweet. and all this stuff we have. Yeah. So, uh, I'm all about the, all that kind of stuff too. Um, just a couple of like more rapid fire ish kind of things. I'm curious. Um, when, what's the, what are you working? Well, okay. I'm trying to figure out what to ask you now. <laughs> it's been so long since I, I, I tell people, that one of the reasons I started this podcast, as much as I love having these cool conversations around adventure and creating an authentic living and all of that, overcoming adversity, et cetera, um, honestly, it's an excuse for me to talk to people I don't get a chance to talk to very often. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you live less than 15 miles from where my house is now, but we've, you know, it's it's so funny. I said earlier that we you know, we need each other more than ever, but we're more like... Oh yeah, I'm <laughs> shutting down more. So this is more an excuse for me just to talk to you. Um, <laughs> well, I but uh, what are you? <laughs> where can people actually go look at what you've created, and and whether it's also the creation process of the videos, or um, I mean, is it just on Instagram? Or do you got some? You go. I, know, my, I think you got a Facebook my page. Dot com you a has bunch my has my whole gallery up. Um, uh, Heather McGlasson. Um, just heathermcglasson.com. You're going to need to spell yeah, that absolutely. for Heather, people, H-E-A-T-H-E-R. McGlasson is spelled like me, like myself. Glass, like a glass that you drink water out of, and on. Like me, glass on the table. There you go. McGlasson. Okay. I, I have literally had to look at how to spell it every single time I've ever All written right. it down. I've, yeah, I've known you for, for, what, 12 years, and I've... <laughs> M-E-G-L-A-S-S-O-N. Beautiful. Um, trying to think. I guess now what's being that things have kind of shifted mm-hmm. um, before we kind of open up fully, what types of artistic things are you doing right now? Uh, are you, you got to be doing something. Yeah. Um, so the book is halfway done and I, and I really want to finish it. And what drives that book so much is how much people inspire me. But right now I, and this is showcasing the, the this artwork, is showcasing of the the artwork and all yeah. of the learnings that I've gotten from developing as an artist. So it's really sort of um, personal narrative interwoven with all of the dear shadow letters and um, sharing uh, the people that inspire me. So it's like it would, your, your uh, piece is in there. So it would have your letter yep. and then your piece is right next to it. And in, inside of each of the chapters, I actually share some of my own uh, experiences with the shadows that I'm going to be sharing in that chapter. And so it's my opportunity and my fear that I get to get like super vulnerable and put myself out there. And it's also the book itself is an invitation for people to shadow dance as a way to heal and move forward and, and, and get through, you know, blocks to creativity, blocks to just their next level of, of awesomeness. And 
right now I'm working on doing bigger and better artistic things by creating adventures and working with people one-on-one -on -one and going out into the world and basically creating a collection of a story around like all of the things that they've brought to the table so far and their hopes and dreams and desires of the future. So that can you and um, can you give me an example of maybe one of your more recent projects? Sure. Just to yeah. kind of so what that looks I, like. What it would look like is this: is hey, what's a big adventure for you? What would you, if money were no object, Joshua? What would you? Where would you like to go in the world? What would you be doing right now? I'd be in New Zealand. Okay. Anything? I'd be surf. I'd be surfing, and I would. Uh, learn more deeply about the Maori culture, and I would get a tattoo in the way they get one. Oh my one. gosh! So how? It, which would be painful, but totally worth it. And there's it. a reason you want to go there, and there's a lot of things in your life that have led yeah. you up to this moment of you know what you want to do, and you won't know where you want to go on an adventure. So yeah. what if I was to create like like the perfect week or two weeks of getting to experience all of that while I'm interviewing you? And we're um, really addressing a lot of things that help take you to the next level and removing some stuff that feel like challenges that might still be in the way emotionally, energetically, or even physically, probably not you physically, um, but. Oh, I can always use right. more. But, and then we're basically <laughs> creating, and it would be my wish to be able to collaborate where we're creating pieces together that are basically a collection, an art collection that when people see it, they get you and they're inspired yeah. by you and they're in complete awe. And maybe it's done in like a magazine form or a book form where it's telling the story of you and giving like, because your life up to this point has had so many juicy adventures and stories that people could learn from. You know this already, but a lot of people don't realize how much value <laughs> their life has for others to see and experience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I would love to be creating tribute adventures to people that involve taking them on some adventure that is really juicy for them and getting to know them better and getting them involved in this creative process and creating a collection based on who they are and what they're teaching through their life adventures. Right on. That sounds like a, like a really cool thing. And hopefully the, uh, the methods and opportunities for that improve as, as things kind of come along. Yeah. So, um, gosh, we only scratched the surface, so yeah. to speak, of, of uh, a lot of the cool stuff you do. But honestly, there's a such a unique thing uh, about what I, – I, I had never heard anybody creating artwork like what you're making. Um, and kind of, you know, you're, you're very open to helping people kind of experience more life. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing. So, um, one more time, the website, and then of course, let, let's give that that Instagram. We'll put all the stuff that you want in the show notes. We'll put that in there. But well, one more time, the the website. The website and, is and any social media. Hedermalasson.com. It's H E A T H E R M E G L A S S O N dot com. I'm always up to something adventurous on there. You can find out more just by going there. Look me up on Google. I'm on the first four pages because I'm the only me. <laughs> It's almost like, a, are you like the human personification of Tigger? Is that what's going on? Uh, sure. The greatest thing about Tiggers is that I'm the only <laughs> Definitely one. Definitely bouncy, bouncy, bouncy. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As always, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you. Yeah.